0: Welcome to the Jinx Dance Media Podcast. This is your host, Jude, and this is where I'll be chatting to you about how to design and create high quality dance events and creative dance content. I'll be covering topics ranging from fundraising, marketing, production, content creation, design, and so much more so that you can have all the tools and resources you need to stand out and build genuine connections with your audience. Hi, everyone. For today's podcast, I'm back with a fellow event organizer from New Orleans, Bemi here. Thank you for joining me. Um, and also, I wanted to, before we get started into like what the topic is going to be about, do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself and maybe give us a little bit more information about your background and experience in events? Sure.
1: Yeah. Hey, uh, I'm Bemi, uh, as they said, and uh, I've been organizing events for about Almost 12 years now. My background started in hosting jams, but now I also work in uh, gaming and uh, a thing called eSports, which is competitive gaming. And I organize events for uh, a bunch of different people uh, like DreamHack, uh, which is a major convention that tours around the world. Uh, I also uh, hosted uh, a few different Bashvilles, which is like one of the biggest homegrown events uh, in the U.S. that uh, existed for a very, very long time, uh, and a, uh, just a overall proud member of the street dance community, and really privileged to be a part of it, and I guess uh, as a little mic drop, uh, I was a judge for Red Bull Dancer's Hell a couple weeks ago.
0: Yeah, I know, like, I've heard about Bashville especially, um, and I think, like, your experience, like, with that event is, like, really, really well-known, but also, I love that you have experience um, in events outside of just dance as well, because I think it really speaks to how well-rounded you are and like your uh, range of experience, um, as well as within street dance, too, because it speaks to, you know, just how involved you are in the culture as well. Um, So for today's podcast episode, I wanted to bring you on to kind of talk about venues, um, Mm because I know that you have a lot of experience with this and have a lot of thoughts on it. So I thought it would be cool to kind of do a deep dive into everything regarding researching, booking, budgeting, working with sponsors um, as it relates to venues and finding different types of venues for your event. So um, is there anything you want to add regarding the topic before we jump into the questions?
1: If you have trouble finding venues, please don't be discouraged because there's plenty of spaces that you just may be able to utilize that you would have never expected
0: yeah for sure and we're gonna get into that um, within our questions most definitely so um okay starting with my first question uh what kind of different venues can people look for for their dance event and what are the pros and cons for each would you say
1: sure uh, so the two major ones that usually a lot of people can find uh, are usually clubs and uh, Dance studios. So the pros and cons of both of them is dance studios tend to have a cleaning fee, which kind of ups the price a little bit uh, because they need to make sure that their floor spaces are taken care of, which um, a lot of the times I have seen events that needed to pay for the cleaning fee additionally because of just, you know, dancers come in with sneakers and a bunch of other things and they mark up the floor. Uh, so genuinely you have to be mindful about what type of flooring the dance studio has uh because otherwise if you have a if you book like a ballet studio essentially like like one of those like jazz modern dance studios they tend to have Mm -hmm. very soft with floors that are very well polished and stuff like that and when you have dancers coming in there and doing breaking or crump or just something that's like a very like footwork aggressive uh type of dance style it can be very very expensive being careful with that clubs on the other hand, they couldn't care less about the floors um and also their venue fees tend to be cheaper because if you let the bar stay open they tend to waver uh, a little bit of the pricing i've had venues where the club said basically as long as the bar stays open it can be roughly like 300 something because Mm -hmm. they can make up for the loss of having the venue booked by just having the bar be open. However, that being said, uh, they tend to be less sanitary. So dance floor, constantly I'm seeing dance floors be sticky. So you need to bring your own vinyl mat or something like that, just to be able to provide at least one space while the dancers are sessioning that they have at least some space. Like when uh Red Bull dancer style uh did the usa qualifier in new orleans in april last year uh the last chance qualifier was done at the house of blues which is a club Mm -hmm. so what they did is they brought their own vinyl floor because if they did the floor that was just there naturally at the house of blues in new orleans uh, i could guarantee you that things would be sticky and dancers would get their shoes caught and fall and get hurt yeah (laughs) Uh, and and I think that's basically the pros and cons to just kind of like sum it up is that dance studios can be um more expensive but or uh, yeah dance studios can be more expensive because of cleaning fees and stuff like that but they're very uh they usually have a good fire marshal capacity Mm -hmm. and also they can be uh they can have parking lots and be very effective while clubs they can be cheaper however the flooring uh, you need to account for that and have some type of way to accommodate the dancers for at least the battles that you're hosting.
0: For sure. Um, Just to kind of piggyback off of that and add on to it, um, I also like don't know if you have a similar experience, but in my experience, I've noticed that dance studios tend to be kind of like built for dance. So like you said, like the floors are usually nicer, um, which is good like for, you know, having like, you know smooth floors you can dance on um but one thing that i've noticed and this is maybe where it comes into them being a bit more expensive depending on what your technical needs are is like they're not always equipped with you know lighting or sound systems so you have to mm. that stuff separately mm-hmm. um and so that tends to be kind of like a drawback of like dance studios because they're not built to be event spaces yeah built for hosting like workshops and classes um so but if you're not doing all of that then in my experience they tend to be a bit more affordable but it adds up if you're having to like outsource for all of these additional like resources that you need like you said um and then for nightclubs another thing that i feel i've noticed um i don't know if all nightclubs are like this but some of them have like a 21 plus policy as well which is tricky depending on who your target audience is if you want to have like younger folks come to your event yeah uh, that eliminates that ability, if you're hosting it. In so, many, yeah, so, many, so many,
1: so many, so many jams I've been to when I was a teen was very difficult, but like, mm-hmm. I mean, you go, you, you put the, you use the wristband situation on there and you're perfectly yeah. fine. But even then that requires like state ID at the very yeah. least and like teens then probably don't have it a lot of
0: the time. Yeah. yeah. And so you, that kind of comes into like a little bit more of like a logistical issue, having to, you know, find a workaround for that. And then additionally, I've noticed that um nightclubs tend to be like like I said, equipped with, you know, lighting, sound system stuff because usually they have those DJs already. Um, it's kind of like what they're for. Sure. And then also they have security usually comes included in your rental fee. Um, that's something that I've noticed personally. Um, so yeah, just to kind of piggyback off what you're saying, that was like my personal experience with some of those venues as well.
1: It's great points, and, yeah.
0: Yeah. I guess one question I have too, um, which we didn't really mention this, but what are your thoughts on people utilizing like bigger, more formal event spaces or like theater spaces for dance events?
1: Mm. Uh, Also like wedding venues sometimes mm-hmm. as well with like the ballroom floors. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... I I don't really mention those as the two most common ones because I feel like they're more expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean Bashville was at a skate park slash whatever. Yeah. Thing. So it's like you know, um, I I would say not great because of how expensive they can be they're the they are so so expensive because of what the Mm -hmm. events are and weddings are you know they're ridiculously expensive Mm -hmm. so the venue's kind of coming with that territory yeah um unless you have a really tight deal and explain like the the owner of the venue is like very sympathetic to the idea that this is for the community and not for profit Mm -hmm. um it's i tend to stay away from those when i'm looking at venues i almost never look at a wedding venue unless i know from word of mouth like this person's legit the owner of the venues really uh supportive of the scene kind of thing Mm -hmm. and then i'll think about it but like yeah the venues are great but a lot of times they're also like hyper sensitive to like they're worried about you know, all right, we're gonna keep this room for you guys, and you can't go beyond any other parts of the venue except for mm-hmm. the restrooms and stuff. So then you may have dancers might wander, and they might worry about that, you know. And yeah. it's on edge, and like you know, the apparel of dancers don't tend to fit a wedding venue or a, you know, ballroom venue, just yeah. kind of like stuff like that. So it's a it's a little bit of a culture shock, as it were.
0: Mm-hmm. So I definitely. Yeah, I definitely agree with everything that you said, because I've seen some uh, events that have actually been able to somehow partner with these, like, fancier, more high-end spaces, and to be quite honest, like, I think I've enjoyed those events less just because of the atmosphere of the space. I feel like they tend to be too spaced out, mm. and it removes that, like, sense of, like, intimacy and that sense of like community and like vibing together. Like I feel that like a dance studio or a nightclub actually like provides very well. I think a lot of people want to go really big that they actually overdo the the production quality to the point where it kind yeah. of where it kind of like ruins the vibe a little bit, if that makes sense. But that's a personal opinion of mine. <laughs> but um yeah, I agree just beyond it being super expensive as well like I just don't think that those venues are best suited to that stuff and if you are going to go with that route obviously there's a lot of work and things that you need to consider when you're setting up the space to kind of make sure you're addressing those pretty common issues that people have with those venues but yeah so um kind of moving into my next question and going off of that when you are looking at venues for a dance event, like what are the primary criteria or things that you look for?
1: Um, uh, Reasonable fire marshal capacity is one of them. The venue has to have at least a housing of 75 people in order to, I feel like to make an event, you need uh, jams. I mean, there's been local jams in communities that have like 20 dancers or less, and those are fine and all. But if you're like really trying to host, like I'm trying to find the right word, I don't want to say proper jam, but like basically a jam that houses enough to be like a top 16 with a crowd, is what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Then those tend to be like 75 people venues and up. So I look for that. Mm -hmm. The fire marshal capacity is very important. Mm -hmm. Uh I also look for reasonable parking. If there's no parking lot, then which is all like a significant problem in New Orleans. I try to look for I try to look for the streets and see where uh, the safer streets are for parking. Uh, because mm-hmm. street parking is very much a thing here, and it is it it is in very many other cities like Atlanta and uh, Chicago, I'm sure. Um, you know, so it's important to make sure that if you don't have a parking lot, to find the right city. And then the third thing is, uh, is also uh, layout of what the venue is because you need to make sure that it's easy for the dancers to navigate and find if not then you need to indicate landmarks for the venue Mm -hmm. because i found some very obscure venues and then just a bunch of people posting on the facebook event page going like where the hell is this thing oh my god and then last but not least air conditioning (laughs)
0: Oh Please. yeah that's a big one <laughs> Which is
1: also I want to circle back real quick To the club thing as well Con mm-hmm. sometimes is that the air conditioning In clubs tend to be worse than the ones In dance studios I find True. Also And then like
0: ventilation.
1: ventilation Well yeah ventilation maybe is a little bit better than dance studios Because the dance studios in there You can really feel the body heat A lot of the times yeah. And then dance studios don't want to set their ACs To like 60 something They'll go yeah. like alright 70 and that's it And then you yeah. go like that's not cool enough
0: yeah and not to mention the bo if the ventilation's really bad Uh, yeah (laughs) um that's never fun yeah yeah um yeah and i guess another couple of things that come to mind when when you talk about that stuff at least for me is you know obviously like we talked about price is going to be a big thing that you're wanting to look at um I would say like things that have like stood out. So looking into going over your basics, right? Like you want to make sure the floors are good. You want to make sure the space fits your needs. It's spacious. It has a good capacity, like you said. Um, Like checking, like if there's any specific tech needs, like what comes included versus what you need to outsource. And if you need to outsource, what that cost is going to be. For me, a big one with space is to make sure you have space for check-in as well. Um, yes you you don't want to have like a really like tiny hallway that like you're stuck doing check-in with it's just not ideal um and then I would say accessibility is something that not a lot of people think about so I always try to like think okay like if there's stairs like is there an elevator or something like that as well um yeah or like a
1: walk-on ramp
0: yeah exactly um and then a couple other things so these are recent things that I've personally dealt with um communication with the staff for the venue like how responsive are they like if I'm emailing back and forth with them do they take several weeks to respond or are they pretty quick to respond especially leading up to the event like if you're trying to like work out some logistical issues and they're not responding for several days like that could be a huge problem um and also like flexibility in terms of like are they booking stuff right up against your event and like if you need to get in the space early or if your event accidentally goes over like 30 minutes late or something do you have that flexibility what are the charges going to be there things like that are all things that I think people should be taking into consideration when they're booking spaces sure Um, as well as like conflicts of interest like um if people are going to be booking events at the same venue at the same day is that going to like cause confusion for your event things like that so just making sure there's lots of like communication there with the with the staff and everyone there. So that's just some other things that I I guess I consider when I look at venues as well. Um I don't know if you have anything else you wanted to add but
1: No, I agree with that. I think the only thing I'll add is that this is all before you want to even look at the price cuz yeah. even looking at the price like yeah, that's a deal breaker if the venue's good or not. But you I tend to look at the venue to see if it even has what I'm looking for before I even bother looking mm-hmm. at the price because it's yeah. very, very important to even just have that thing to work with. People have less options than others, but for sure, it's definitely important.
0: Yeah, because if it doesn't meet your needs, then like, why would you even bother trying to get a quote on how much it's going to cost?
1: Yeah, because sometimes so. venues can be very negotiable.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: For sure. Uh, oh, and just one like little thing about the pricing is that if you tell people that you're running a community event, you tend to get more community fees as opposed to like their normal regular venue fee sometimes. Yeah,
0: so, yeah that's a really, that's a really good um, phrasing. Size. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like, I, I usually when we're reaching out to venues, we really emphasize that we're a grassroots organization. Um, <laughs> and that, that helps a lot too, for sure. Because a lot of times they'll ask like, oh, are you, um, are you taking, like, are are people paying for entry? And we're like, yes, but we usually don't profit. We're a grassroots organization. The money goes back towards the event itself, but also like the community and the artists who are involved in stuff. So, um, I think, yeah, phrasing is really important and just making sure that people know, you know, where you're coming from and what your resources and um, limitations are as well. It was really important.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So moving into my next question, I guess this is going to kind of expound a little bit on the whole pricing situation, but what are like, I guess, the primary things that you have to budget for and consider when you're booking venues?
1: Budgeting is uh, whether nowadays i don't even need to do this but some people need to think about it is renting speakers Mm -hmm. uh because of the sound systems that you mentioned earlier but also at some point uh there for a while our dj locally here in new orleans didn't have their own speakers at the time so i would have to rent speakers from guitar center or something like that Mm -hmm. in order to account for that budget as well um other things you need to account for the budget, obviously, is the travel for your judges. If you're booking out-of-state judges as opposed to local, um, I'm always trying to get at least one out-of-state judge because I like that neutral third-party kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's, uh, it's, it's really important to also uh, factor in budgets for also the people that you're letting in for free as well. Because the people you let in for free, that's another like 20 to $25 that's not going to be in your pocket and you need mm-hmm. to account for that as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I know Um, for Out of the Shadows, for example, like we have all of our 3v3 crews that come out and they all get in for free. So that's like 24 people that are not paying entry fee, right? So that adds up. So you have to like think about stuff like that. Um. <laughs> so yeah, for sure. I guess one more thing I would add, too, that I didn't really think about until I started doing this stuff was, like, what kind of furniture comes included. Like, you need chairs to to sit on. (laughs) You need tables, like, for your check-in. And if you have, like, merchandise, like, you need tables. Like, you might even need tablecloths. Like, I had to buy a bunch of tablecloths, and I didn't realize how expensive tablecloths were. And even just, like, signage that you have. Like, you need to, like, budget for all that stuff, too. So... Um making sure you do your research as to like what you actually need in terms of like a supplies list is gonna be yeah
1: that's why I bought fold-out chairs from Walmart
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's
1: perfect they're comfy they got arms and yeah. they got cup holders and they're comfy yeah. and cheap
0: usually usually a lot of venues will come with at least some furniture like yeah but like oh yeah. gosh
1: the clubs have like the bar stools and I hate the bar stools no
0: not the bar stools I know like for some of the dance studios we have, they have like couches like in their reception area that they let us use for like the judges to sit on. So that's kind of nice. It's a little bit more comfortable than like a folding chair. Um, But yeah, things like that are important to consider as well. I guess moving into my next question, Mm. have you had any like particularly bad experiences working with venues? And if so, like why and what did you learn from that?
1: Personally, I haven't had I had bad experiences with the venue as a consumer for a few different events that weren't hosted by me. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as out the oh, you know what? No, hold on. <laughs> we uh the one one dance studio double kept double booking me. Uh, but it was really the only best venue that I could find that was affordable as mm-hmm. at the time as a high schooler. So it's the only thing you could work with. That's also another thing as well. I don't think we talk about enough is the venue owner. Mm -hmm. You really want to get a vibe check about the venue owner. Because if they are really crappy person, it's (laughs) going to be the bane of your existence. Yeah. I can only imagine if the, (sighs) like, the, the the owners of the venue for freestyle session i think have very weird rules i don't think the rules are established by freestyle session i think freestyle session has to abide by the rules of like these if you enter the venue you cannot leave until x time
0: oh that's the worst Yeah, I hate that.
1: (laughs) I don't know the full context, so I'm not gonna put it on freestyle session. But I think it's the venue owner, so I'm gonna put it on those people because they don't know what I'm gonna say.
0: Yeah, yikes. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, I know for me, like the like you said, the vibe of the like the person who's like managing the venue is a big big thing that I have had challenges with. Um, like there have been venues that I've worked with where like the owner is super condescending and like doesn't understand like even the most basic, like best practices for like venue rental. Um, like we would communicate like, Hey, we're renting from this time to this time. And they'd send me the contract and it would be the wrong time. And I'd send them like, Hey, can you please update this? And then they'd send it back and they didn't even change it. And I was like little things like that. Um, or like, I would ask if like wheat, for example, um, We were wanting to use like the lights and like the curtains in this one venue that we had and they were like, oh, well, you have to hire a tech person and then you have to have a tech rehearsal. I'm like, "Okay, that makes sense. Like, that's fine. We can do that. Like, I know you want your stuff to be operated by a professional. Um, But when I was trying to book the tech rehearsal, I was like, we only need like two hours. And then for like setup and loadout, we only need an hour because like we're very experienced. Like we know how much time we need to like get stuff done.
1: Yeah, it's very and, low maintenance. And well. they
0: were yeah, exactly. And they were trying to require us to have four hours of tech rehearsal because they wanted to charge us extra for the extra two hours. I'm like we don't know. What type need of venue hours. is this? It was a dance studio. What? They had like they had like get a black box like studio set up. Yeah, oh. it was crazy. But oh, like black
1: box, oh okay.
0: but like like it wasn't like It wasn't even like an actual black box, but it was similar. But that being said, like, it was just like, like the, like they were treating our event as if it was like a dance, like concert dance performance. And like, as if we need to like rehearse it. And I'm like, no, like we just need to get like the lighting tech just needs to basically uh, like adjust the settings for the lights, make sure everything's set up. We're going to test the sound and that's it. Like, we don't need four hours to do that. And so it's just like crazy stuff like that, where, um, I have worked, like, because I actually majored in dance at Columbia College here in Chicago, and so I've worked on concert productions, and I've also worked on a lot of jams, and, like, I, like, it was weird, because this woman was talking to me as if, like, I didn't know what I was doing, or I didn't know what I was talking about, because she didn't think I had experience doing other types of dance events. It was very strange, like, it was just very condescending, so things like that, and then, like I mentioned before, like, How frequently do they communicate? Because I would send this woman like three or four emails like every three days or even after like a week and she still wouldn't like respond for like ages. It'd take me like a month to get a response from this person. And I'm like, how are we supposed to get anything done? So... Things like that, I think are super, super important as well. So I definitely agree with you on that one.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's why I tend to like, when I try to get a quote, I don't do it online. I get the quote through mm-hmm. a phone call to see how well and receptive they are, because that's like yeah. a, a good out the gate, because sometimes you'll yeah. even get the venue owners themselves because they like to handle yeah. that.
0: I like to book tours with the venue if possible. That way I can go in and actually meet the person. Sure. I think that's usually helpful too. Um, but Yeah. Um, on the flip side of that, have you had any like particularly like really positive experiences with certain venues? And if so, like what has made that experience stand out, like in terms of any particular best practices that they had that um you just felt were very professional or yeah. positive, things like that?
1: Uh to come to mind, one I do actually want to shout out and give the name of is a uh, foundation used in Texas and oh actually three, but like go hand in hand together both in Houston Texas. Foundation is a dance studio that is in Houston themselves so they are a street dance studio. They teach a lot of street dance styles. They do some other studio dances uh, but uh, Ashton the owner, AP uh, he's very communicative and extremely good and is he is a street dancer himself. He's judged uh, a few of my jams actually last year Um, and he he has a real understanding of the community. Same thing goes with Andrew from So Real Dance Studio, uh, which, is, uh, which is a, a bigger venue. Um, and they're really, really good. I think just also finding, it's very fortunate that those people are part of the street dance community themselves, which makes it a lot easier to help them communicate the idea of what you're trying to do and execute. Mm-hmm. Uh, the venue, I would say, shout out, the ones that aren't really actually part of the culture Um, but are still really good is probably um, NOLA Spaces or Dance Quarters uh, as they are. And uh, they are very good with their staffing. Uh, They have a team that manages studio and then a team that actually manages like internal operations of like booking venues and financials and stuff like that. So one's Mm -hmm. sales and one's the actual like floor on the ground team helping with the venue stuff gotcha um and like uh i i've never spoken with the owners but the the owner's pick of staff has been really really good and they have uh very reasonable pricing as long as you are able to communicate the idea clearly to them Mm. And I think that's been super important is just having good staff. When a venue's had zero staff, like the one bad venue that I mentioned earlier, being yeah. double booked, being double booked was being double booked by the owner because the owner didn't have anybody else working at mm-hmm. the venue. So yeah. it's, good to have, it's good to have staff as well. Vibe checking staff is also important.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, no, I totally agree and we love it we love it when we find like a really good like professionally run venue space and i think no that's doubt. kind of i think that's kind of hard to come by with um dance studios and like i guess just the type of venues that you might be wanting to book for dance events just because of like we said like the pricing difference they don't always have the same staff support that maybe like a wedding venue or something might have so it's important to keep that stuff in mind too that like I don't know. I think it's cool when you do come across one that has like really, really good like professionalism and they're just very positive and easy to work with Um, because they're like a little gem, I feel like. So we love that. (laughs) But yeah. um, So I guess my kind of last question and also opening up to any additional things you want to talk about, but what like advice, tools or resources would you want to recommend to folks as it relates to you know, researching, booking, or just working with venues in general for their event.
1: When you are looking for that venue and you find the venue that you like with the right price and everything, and you are like, "Okay, let's do this," budget it according to the fire marshal capacity. So many dancers try to go out with all out, all out with the first idea. And it's really great that you have that vision, but it's important to dial it back. So that way, when you want to level up your event, you can do it realistically without hurting the bank. The thing that I do uh, when I am doing an out-of-pocket event is when I have my venue in mind and I book it, I go, okay, here is a 100-person fire marshal capacity venue. I'm charging $20. That's a thousand dollars. So uh we'll say a thousand dollars minus whatever you're gonna let in for free whether that be battle guests, judges, DJs, you get it. And then that's your actual budget for what you want to invest in because Mm -hmm. you want to break even at the very least if you're doing this for community, which a lot of times it is. One day, I think it would be cool if we could do it for profit in the sense of, like, there could be more feasible career paths as event organizers to support jams. Not that I think taking money from people is cool. I like money, but I also (laughs) like supporting culture as well. It's just, you know, making sure that you can eat it. But I
0: also also think what you're kind of touching on, too, is a little bit of a sensitive topic, but it's important because... It shouldn't be, though. It it shouldn't be, but... I think it is for a lot of people even if it shouldn't be and it's important to talk about because like for example like doing events like this feels like a full-time job and it takes a lot of time and effort and energy and in order to like for example like expand yourself and like be able to open up your time to be able to do more of it and give back more you have to be able to make a living as well and so I think like there's nothing wrong with organizers for street dance events getting paid. Um it's more so about how do you go about that? What are you prioritizing? What are your intentions there? Obviously like I think you know people in the street dance scene are really good at like sniffing out like <laughs> just bad intentions and I think if your intentions are good and you know you're prioritizing the community before yourself, like I think that's going to come across and I don't think there's anything wrong with making a living. Like we don't judge people for yeah. making a living from teaching. We're not talking about judging. buying a
1: private jet. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, And We're
0: it's, not like, yeah, it's not like you have to, like, you don't have to like live in like luxury to like just yeah. be able to like. I just want
1: a roof over my head, be able to play video yeah. games, eat, and then yeah. those shams.
0: And like I said, we don't judge people for making money from judging or teaching or competing and stuff, yeah. you know. So like, why would we judge people for making money from actually organizing an event? And so yeah, I know it's a little off topic, but I didn't want to touch on that just because you mentioned it. No, uh, yeah. But yeah, I think I think that's important for sure. One I question think- I did have. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, <laughs> just
1: one like one other thing I do want to yeah. say is like don't make the topic of money awkward. Just Mm -hmm. don't stop it. Listen, it's a gig economy. Gig economy means everybody's quote and everybody's rate is different because of their living situation or what they're doing or what they value and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. And there will be somebody that fits your budget. And if somebody somebody goes like, Hey, my judge fee is $600 and you go like, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm only able to afford to pay $200 per judge. You can respect their price because I respect that, if somebody just says I'm $600, I'm gonna respect that because they've worked hard to value their time that way and worked very hard to be at that rate. If I can't afford it, I'm just gonna be like, all right, cool, if I run into a bigger opportunity with uh, judges and stuff like that, you've been very clear and communicative with me, I'll book you some other time. Thank you so much for your cooperation. And just move on, just don't make it awkward. Look, if you can't afford something, And they look down on you at that you're not going to book them in the future Mm -hmm. people who are like oh i understand your situation have a good day and you can keep that relationship open Mm -hmm. are so much more valuable i love people that are not afraid to talk about money because money we're all trying to make money at the end of the day but we also have good intentions Mm -hmm. so if as long as we keep that in mind Let's not make let's not make fees awkward. Everybody's got a different fee. Everybody works differently with different people.
0: Mm -hmm. Just
1: keep just don't make it awkward. That's all. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And I love that. um, Also, you're talking about you know you ask what their rate is, and if you can't afford it, you respect that, and you're like, okay, I'll keep you in mind for a future event when I can't afford that in my budget. As opposed to, I have seen like I think where it gets tricky is when people try to be like hey we have this amount like will you do it for this amount without even asking what their rate is or they try and negotiate them down without giving anything in return um that's of like equal value and I think that's where it becomes like you're just not valuing that person at that point but I feel like the way that you do it is very respectful and I think that's how it should be done so I I love that um one thing before we get to I guess on a side tangent there was one question I had about um I guess how you calculate the budget for your venue because you said say the fire marshal capacity is 100 people you're charging $20 you said that's a $1000 um do you do like 50% is like do you estimate like 50% attendance and that's where your budget comes from or do you split it in half because you want to save the rest of that budget for other equipment and things like that like does does that make sense <laughs> yeah
1: yeah yes it is it is about attendance cuz there's so many so many dancers will be like, Yeah, bro, I'll be there, bro, man. Yeah, and then just like not show up. Mm-hmm. And then it's, it's, if you account for those kind of people, then I don't know what you're gonna do. You're gonna be in for heartbreak a bunch of times. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say probably, yeah, it is, it is good to, I, I tend to, I guess, as a nerd tip, is have slush money. Slush funds is always important in on top mm-hmm. of your venue uh, or on top of your jam budget because basically slush funds is like, okay, it's $1,000. Then if you really want to, you can make it like a $1,400 budget and mm-hmm. then say the $400 is for anything you want to go over the budget of $1,000. Mm-hmm. But I tend to keep it roughly to the 50 to 65% range
0: mm-hmm. of money
1: because then it's easier to make it back. And yeah. Yet, even if the jam's not as big as you want it, you could, you could make the event biannual or annual.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. No, I agree. I just wanted to clarify there. Um.
1: Yeah. No, thank people, you.
0: People were understanding like uh, your train of thought on that because I was like, some people might be like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> so no, that was a good point. Thank you clear. for that. No, for sure. Um. No, I agree. I usually think it's, um, important to like you said, estimate lower than like, I would say the attendance that you're actually expecting, because it's always better to have more people than you're expecting than to have less people. And then you've spent too much and then you're, yes. you're paying for that out of pocket. Right. So
1: yes. And yeah. <laughs> the fire marshal capacity comes into play because you're accounting yeah. for more people.
0: Yes, exactly. Happens. Exactly. Yeah. Awesome. So are there any, I guess, last thoughts or anything else that you wanted to add um, before we wrap up?
1: If you don't have sponsors tip jars are not should not be shamed upon and I think that they can be very reasonable mm-hmm. you're not going to force it down the throat so you don't even have to mention you could just say here's a jar leave a tip if you'd like uh and you don't even make a conversation about it and then mm-hmm. I would also say look for vendors mm-hmm. if you can that's another thing that you want to check with the venue as well that that can get you in trouble if you don't look for it if you Mm -hmm. think about vendors make sure that the studio approves it or Mm -hmm. the venue in general and then don't be afraid to have that be your sponsors because vendors are a great way to do it just Mm -hmm. say hey give me a 100 bucks and you can yeah just sell your clothes there's like a there's a there's a really cool person texas named lachey who uh, has essentially like a like a mobile thrift store and it's really cool and she's got like a lot of dope swag and she like comes to all the jams and she like sells her stuff there and it's like go mm-hmm. for it. Um, I think that's if you if you really need if you really want those sponsorship and you don't want everything to be out of pocket, those are perfectly good alternative routes. and uh, sponsors are not the only answer for when you want to host a jam uh, when you're starting out.
0: Absolutely. I think most people, honestly, Sponsors sometimes take time to build those relationships and to get those um, deals made. So I would argue that like usually it's not common when you're first starting out to have sponsorships for your event. So there's definitely other ways, like you said, to be resourceful, whether it's with vendors or tip jars or just getting donations. Um, There's lots of different ways, even grant applications. um, There's lots of different ways to...
1: Yeah, I tend to stay away from grants because of the you have to tax that uh and gets 1099 some people don't know how to file that a lot of times Mm -hmm. um but I mean depends on how much the grant is uh the the only other thing I would say um on top of that as well is have photographer have camera person lease to film footage make Mm -hmm. content out of that and encourage a hashtag Mm-hmm. for when they post stuff on instagram mm-hmm. um like ha- dream hack always has hashtag dh and then whatever initials for the city so like when we were doing dream hack atlanta we did hashtag dh H- A-T-L, and then like hashtag byos which was the mm-hmm. name of the jam that we were hosting in dream hack and uh then we could like really see the numbers because that's what sponsors care about if you really mm-hmm. want to establish that relationship with sponsors you bring them numbers yeah. that's the best way you're going to yeah. get to them
0: absolutely tracking your data is super important um we're getting into marketing and sponsorships and budgeting topics now but yeah i feel like i, feel like I need to bring you on for another episode so we can do a deep dive really yeah, yeah. but yeah <laughs> venue venue then
1: circling back around to venues yeah it's a uh, it's definitely like emphasize community there's more mm-hmm. than one way to To fund your event uh, and cover the venue cost fees, which is always sometimes the biggest fee. So,
0: yeah, absolutely. Awesome. All right. Well, I think that kind of sums up really everything about venues that I wanted to talk about with you. Um, I will put in the description of this podcast episode um, some details where you can reach out to Bemi here if you want to just hear more or get more information, as well as myself. Um, And yeah, if you haven't rated my podcast already, please rate it five stars. Helps me out a lot. And uh, yeah, thank you again for joining. Um, Hopefully we'll see you on some future episodes as well. And yeah. (laughs)
1: thank you yeah it was great to have you oh can i do one quick plug yeah of course absolutely uh one plug uh may 27th at like uh literally uh the end of the month after you go to after you go to chicago for out of the shadows yes uh come by (laughs) houston i'll be hosting groove your point which is a 1v1 popping jam and they're gonna have the we're gonna have our second volume of the event that uh we hadn't had in five years but the last champion was Mega Man. so join that legacy uh yes. <laughs> of, of that if you want to come to the popping jam we'll be doing a fun also invitational 3v3 popping as well not as very extravagant but it's like a fun local thing no come. that if sounds like awesome. this popping in in chicago come to the out of the shadows and then come over to houston for groovy point yes Yeah. so
0: i'll put all the information for that event in the description as well um for you guys to reference but yeah Thank you so much. And yeah, I will talk to you all next week.